0: That is the choice that Jesus, through the Gospel of John, sets before us this morning. In the passage that was read a few moments ago, it ended with these words, Many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The other part of what I said is found in John 3 and verse 36, which is the one that believes in the Son has life, and the one that does not believe in the Son is condemned by God because he has rejected the one that God has sent. And so this is the choice that lies before us. Do we believe unto eternal life, or do we turn away from that belief which leads to condemnation and destruction at God's hand? In this passage, John chapter 20, we we see several different examples of what belief looks like. We see belief that follows after a kind of rationalization that tries to explain these events in normal human terms. We see belief that follows after only the briefest glimpse of a sign that the resurrection has taken place. We see belief that took another appearing of Christ himself before it was made real. But in all of these cases, we see genuine belief. This stands in contrast to what we looked at earlier this morning in the Sunday School Hour with the signs that Jesus performed and the fact that in almost every case, Jesus would perform a sign, a miracle, an evidence that he was in fact the Son of God come with power And the people would fixate on the physical wonder, for example, the feeding of the 5,000, and miss the truth that Jesus is the bread of life come down from heaven in whom they must believe. Or they would be amazed by the turning of the water into wine and fail to recognize that Jesus was the true vine to which they needed to be connected. Or they saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. Some believed And yet the Pharisees saw and heard of this event and not only tried to put Lazarus to death who had been raised, but Christ himself who raised Lazarus and who would be raised in the passage that we would look at this morning. And so again, the question comes to do we believe or do we not believe? So let's start in the first verse of chapter 20 of John. Mary comes to the tomb, sees the stone taken away. What is her first thought? Her first thought is, the body of Jesus has been stolen. Now there were a couple of things that would argue against this having been the case. The first thing is that a heavy stone had been rolled over the mouth of the grave to prevent such activity. The second thing is that the Pharisees, fearing that the disciples would roll the stone away and steal the body of Jesus and claim that he had been raised, had posted a guard. And yet, when Mary comes to the tomb, the stone is rolled away, no guard is to be found. We read in the other Gospels, the reason for this is that an angel appears, the stone is rolled away, the guards flee in fear, both of the angel and of what will take place when they find that the tomb has been empty, that they were commissioned to guard. Mary comes to the tomb and assumes that someone has stolen Jesus' body. We know this from verse 2. She says this to Peter and the disciple who is not named, but who is John. They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So her first response is, there has to be some reasonable explanation for what has taken place. Her story sort of brackets the account of Peter and John. Peter and John go running up to the tomb. They look into the tomb, and they look to see what has taken place. John arrives first and looks in and sees the linen wrappings lying there. Peter arrives second, actually goes into the tomb and sees not only the wrappings, but also the um, things which had bound Jesus' head. Now, to understand what's going on here, uh, we have to understand what it says at the end of chapter 19, where it says, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one, For fear of the Jews, asked Pilate he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had been laid therefore because of the Jewish day of preparation since the tomb was nearby they laid Jesus there. So Jesus' body had been wrapped in strips of cloth in a hundred pounds weight of spices and yet when the disciples come to the tomb the linen wrappings are there but there is no body and in fact verse 7 says the face cloth which had been on his head not lying with the linen wrappings but rolled up in a place by itself Remember the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11. Jesus says, come forth, and Lazarus comes forth still wrapped from the tomb. And he requires assistance to be unwrapped and to return to his normal life. In Jesus' case, through God's power, his physical body is resurrected and removed from the wrappings, and he lays them aside and folds them up as though it was clothes that he was done with and doesn't need anymore. What's John's response? Verse 8. The other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. What was it about what he saw that caused him to believe? It was the fact that grave robbers would not have nicely folded up the linen wrappings and left them lying neatly in the tomb. Without assistance, even those who claim that Christ would have been in a state of stupor and and actually still on on the brink of life. He would have required much assistance to be unwrapped. But this was clearly God's power, and the response of John is to believe. All of the people in this chapter are going to see something and believe, which is, interestingly, one of the themes that John has had all throughout the book. People see something, and then they believe. What's the response? Verse 9, they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So how do we reconcile these two ideas? He saw and believed, but he didn't understand the scripture. I think the parallel would be this. Sometimes someone will trust in Christ, and they will say, I believe in God, I believe what he said, but they may not know every last detail of everything that's written in God's word. The difference and the, the test of true faith is having seen and understand basic truths about God The more that they read, the more that they hear, do they continue to believe or do they turn aside from that belief? In this case, John expressed belief, even though he didn't understand exactly how all of the Old Testament prophecies fit together and pointed to this activity of Christ, even though he didn't necessarily understand all of the things that Jesus had said about uh, the temple of his body being destroyed and raised again in three days, yet he believed. The disciples go away, but Mary, who has apparently come back to the tomb, perhaps seeking to find out what has taken place, is weeping in the garden outside the tomb. She stoops and she looks into the tomb, and she sees two angels in white sitting there. They say to her, Why are you weeping? She said, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Again, she is fixated on this idea that some human activity can explain what she sees in front of her. John sees it and sees it as the hand of God. She sees it and thinks there must be a reasonable explanation for this. Verse 14, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. She sees Jesus in the garden, but she does not at first recognize him. I think that there are two reasons she does not recognize him at first. The first reason is that she wasn't looking for him there. She is still thinking there has to be some explanation for where the body of Christ has been taken. We see this by her statement at the end of verse 15. If you have been the one who at the directive of the owner of the garden have carried him to another place, let me know and I will take his body and bury it in honor. What was the other reason? I think the other reason we find in First Corinthians chapter 15, there is a connection and a similarity, and yet there are subtle differences between the body of one who has not yet been raised and the body of one who has been raised. Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 15, a body that is corruptible, a body that is raised incorruptible, a body that is mortal, a body that is raised immortal by the power of God. For these two reasons, she did not recognize Jesus at first, and yet... When he says her name, something about the way that he says it and his speech to her, she recognizes who he is and she responds to him and says Rabbani, dear teacher. And it seems that she falls to the ground and is clinging to his feet much as we see the account earlier with the the washing of his feet with hair and the, the putting on of perfume on his feet and He says, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go and tell the others what you have seen. And she obeys. What is her statement? I have seen the Lord. And what he had said to her. So we see the response of John. We see the response of Mary. And then we come to the response of the disciples. Verse 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any their sins have been forgiven them, if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. I'll pause there for a moment. Ten of the twelve disciples are gathered there. Judas has gone and overcome with shame and grief, has committed suicide because of the horror of his betrayal of Christ. Thomas is not there, perhaps out on some kind of errand for the disciples. So ten of the twelve disciples see Jesus. He shows them His hands in his side, so they see that he is the one who was crucified and is now raised. And he commissions them and empowers them and gives them authority. And their response as well is belief. They rejoice when they see the Lord. Verse 24 says this, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, that is the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Mary was seeking a rational explanation. John believed with the barest of proof Thomas wanted definitive certainty that Jesus was raised. And before we condemn him, consider the fact that the other disciples had seen the proof that Thomas was asking for. But he was not present to see it. Jesus appears again the next week, verse 26. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger, and see my hands, and reach here with your hand, and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. And so in this passage, we have this contrast. Those who see and who did not believe, those who did not see and yet believed, and then the category that I think all three of these groups fell into, those who saw and believed. What was the thing that united All of the people in this chapter. Even if they required a greater measure of sight before their faith was strengthened, they all believed. And this is set in contrast to so many of those earlier in the Gospel of John who saw Jesus feed the 5,000, still the storm, um, turn the water into wine, raise one from the dead, all of these things, and yet... They either got hung up on the physical expression of the act that Jesus had done and missed the significance of it, or they just completely rejected it, as did the Pharisees. Why did John write all these things down? Why did he bother to record this story for us? Verse 30. There are many other signs Jesus did which are not written, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you may have life in his name. John wrote these things in this book so that we would not make the same mistake that so many of those in Jesus' day did, which was to see God's power and to be blind to it. Jesus heals the man born blind, and the Pharisees say, who could have done this? And he shows them who did it, that it's Jesus. They reject Jesus' power, and Jesus says, you are blind. And they said, but we're teachers of everyone, he says, but you have rejected The light of the world. And so you are blind. You are condemned. You are in your sins. And this was unfathomable for those who led the people of Israel, who knew the law by heart. And yet, in their rejection of Christ, it so twisted their thinking and their desires that not only did they reject Christ, And all the things that they had seen, but in their unbelief, they even put Christ to death. Those who claimed to uphold the law that said, do not kill, arranged the death of Christ, the one who had been promised to them. Those who said, we uphold the law that says, don't lie against your neighbor, appointed false witnesses to condemn Christ at his trial. And we can be as blind as they were and as lost as they were. And the only thing that we can turn to to deliver us from being blind and being lost and from unbelief is to turn to the Christ that John holds up and says, here's all the things that he did. What are you going to do with him? Are you going to believe in him? Or are you going to reject him like so many did in his day? If you believe you will have life, what does that life look like? That life looks like, John 17, 3, a knowledge of God in a personal relationship at the present time. This is eternal life that they may know you, the true God, and your son whom you have sent. It is also the promise that we will be raised as Christ was raised. We all face death. People around us die. People we love die. Sometimes we try to comfort ourselves and say, well, this person is in a better place, or we'll see them again someday, or those sorts of things. That is only true If you have this belief apart from belief in Christ, there is no resurrection apart from belief in Christ. There is no forgiveness of sins apart from belief in Christ. There is no hope in the face of death. But as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, but now is Christ raised and if he was raised, we who believe in him will likewise be raised. And so again. Again were confronted with this question. These things were written so that we would believe. Do you believe? What does that belief look like? It doesn't look like coming to church, although I'm thankful that you're all here. It doesn't look like praying prayers to God, although it is certainly good to call out to God. It doesn't look like giving money to help those in need, although that is certainly an act of charity. It looks like a belief in God a rejection of anything that I can do to make myself right with God because there is nothing that I can do to make myself right with God. It's as though we had an Olympic athlete in me saying we're going to swim the Pacific Ocean. He's going to make it further. He's still going to drown. None of us can reach God on our own. So, Christ is the only way to God. His resurrection is the only hope in the face of death belief in him is the only way to have life. So do we as it says in 1 Thessalonians turn away from our idolatry and our sin, turn to the living God to serve the living God and to wait for his son from heaven, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. That is the only way that this Sunday is a time of joy Instead of an empty celebration of just another day on the calendar that happens to be marked off with significance by other people but has no real meaning for us. So, these things were written so that you would believe. Do you believe? Let's pray. Lord, we may find ourselves like Mary seeking a rational human explanation for what is, in fact, a supernatural event. We may find ourselves like Thomas, wanting to see some sort of sign or proof that what is being said is true. Or we might be like John and we have believed merely because we see your word, your presence. Lord, help us even to be, as Jesus said, those who have not seen firsthand these signs and yet having seen the testimony of them in the Gospel of John and in the rest of Scripture, believe in you. That belief is the only hope that we have because apart from it we stand condemned in our own sin, failing to do all that you call us to do, doing the things you tell us we ought not to do, and falling short of your glory but in Christ we can find forgiveness in Christ we can find life in Christ we can find hope and we can and will someday share in that resurrection Lord I pray that that would be where all of us are this morning trusting in you looking for that day of resurrection Lord I pray that no one would go from this place and die in their sins, having rejected this message because you are the only way. We cannot earn our way to you. We cannot manage life on our own. Sometimes people mock those who believe in Christ and say that they are weak. Yes, we admit that we are weak. Our strength fails. Sickness overwhelms us. Death overtakes all of us, and the only thing that will help us is if we rest in you. Help us to do that, Lord, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.